Let's start. Open to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. We've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to read it one more time for us. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we are accustomed to saying another statement in our Lord's Prayer, aren't we? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, honestly, it's likely that Jesus never spoke those words when he was teaching those crowds um, about the Lord's Prayer. And unless you have uh, the King James Version of the Bible or the New King James, uh, your Bible likely does not include that phrase at the end of verse 13. Unless it's footnoted or if it has brackets around it, it might have brackets around it and has a footnote um, about that phrase. See, there are several ancient manuscripts of the New Testament. Um, Scholars take those and they translate those into modern languages. And um, many of the newer ancient translations, uh, not translations, many of the ancient manuscripts of the New Testament contained that phrase um, at the end of Jesus' teaching on prayer. For that, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. But most of the older ancient manuscripts, which are generally uh, considered to be more reliable because they're closer to the source, uh, do not contain that phrase. And so um, it's likely Jesus didn't say that, but the early church, the very early church, adopted that. They thought it was really important to conclude the Lord's Prayer. In fact, one of the earliest um, sources of Christian education, like, well beyond Beth Moore and Bible Study Fellowship, way before those Christian education tools, um, was the Didache, which uh, means the teaching. And the very early church used it. Perhaps it even predates some of our New Testament documents. And the Didache instructs Christians to, as they finish the Lord's Prayer to include, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So, Really important for this early church to use that phrase. Why is that important? Well, I'm going to give us two things that we do when we say that phrase. Really important to our prayer life. Um, One, when we say that phrase, one, we praise God for who he is. And two, we uh, continue to pray to God because of who he is. So don't don't have um, slides... I'm looking at that scripture right there, Matthew 6, 5 through 13. So it may be a different set of slides that you have up there. So I'm going to walk you through these fill-ins, and then we'll see if, we'll see if, it's, uh, we'll see if we've got uh, words for you on the screens. So, one, we praise God for who he is. And two, we continue to pray to God because of who he is. Do both of those things when we say this um, ending phrase of the Lord's Prayer. So let's look at that ending phrase. It starts off, for yours is the kingdom. 
And we don't think in terms of kingdom um, much these days. In fact, we may be a little suspicious of kingdoms because when we look at media, when we look at entertainment, when we read books, when we uh, study history, uh, we find that these sources don't necessarily present kings in a very positive light, do they? We might be suspicious of kings and kingdoms. Do we really want a king? Do we really want to live in God's kingdom? Well, Jesus thinks it's a pretty good idea (laughs) to have God as king and to live in his kingdom. Now, you may remember one of his parables that he taught about um, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a treasure. And where is that treasure? Well, it's, it's buried in a field, and, and a man discovers that field, and, and he sells all that he owns so they could go buy that field. And just, just an amazing little parable that Jesus says, because we can, we can imagine um, you know, his friend saying, Joe, what, what, are you, what are you doing with this big estate sale? You know, why are you selling all your stuff? I want that field. You know, you can think there's a, there's a big sacrifice in being a Christian. But this parable doesn't present Christianity as, as making a big sacrifice. I mean, this man gladly gives up all of his possessions, sells everything to buy this field, just to enjoy. In fact, verse 13, uh, uh, chapter 13, verse 44 says, When a man found it, when a man found the field in his joy, he went and sold all he had and had brought that field. He was joyous as he did that. He's joyous about this exchange that he's going to make for this treasure. It's not, a, it's not a sacrifice for him. And Jesus tells us that kingdom can be yours. You can have that kingdom. You can live in God's kingdom and have God as your king. So yours is the kingdom in the next Statement is yours is the power. The power is yours. And of course, you want God as your king because of his almighty power. How powerful is God? Romans chapter 4 tells us that God is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Romans 4.17, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. And so he's able to make things happen that we would never dream could happen. There's no dead ends with God. God is the God of limitless hope. There's always good news with God. There's never a dead end with God. God is powerful to save and to forgive. So we celebrate God's unlimited power. Yours is the power. And finally, yours is the glory. God's glory. What is God's glory? Well, it can be understood as God's brightness, his beauty, his magnificence, his worthiness, his brightness. But I thought of the story of Isaiah. In chapter 6, Isaiah is, he has a vision. He's in the, the temple. And he has a vision of God with him in the temple. And, and Isaiah chapter 6 says that the, the hem just the bottom part of God's robe, just, just the bottom part, fills up the temple. And there are angels that are with Isaiah, and they're speaking. And when the angels speak, the temple shakes. 
in Isaiah 6 that the temple's filled with smoke. So there's a lot of filling going on. And this is what the angels say. The angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Think of all the filling that is going on. And these angels say, now the whole earth is full of God's glory. And the word for full in that verse means like to fill a container. That which fills a something else. And I remember from studying physics that in order for one thing to fill something else, that thing has to have mass. <laughs> I, want, I want you to consider that God's glory is not just some ethereal concept. It's not something we just kind of think vaguely about in our minds. What is God's glory? No, God's glory moves us. It's like it has mass. It fills the earth. Or God's glory fills the earth like like, um, you know, sunlight will beam into a, a, a closet. You open up the door, this dark closet, and, and sunlight fills the closet, and you, your eyes are popping out of your sockets. It's so bright. It's like God's glory moving you. Or, or God's glory fills the earth like a thunderous noise, fills this space, and makes you want to cover your ears. My little nine-year-old covering her ears as a jet flies overhead. God's glory moves us. It's not just in our minds, this vague concept. It's real. It deeply moves you. It's God's glory that shows you that God is the most real and lasting being in your life. God is more real than you are. Think of... um, those magnificent sunsets that we see every once in a while. And the, the, you know, the setting sun will reflect off some, some clouds and make them just explode in you know, brilliant orange and yellow and, and blue and purple. Just wow! You know, if, if God wasn't real, if we were purely physical beings, we would all be looking at that, and we would, what we would say, we would say, well, that's just the sunlight that is refracting through the Earth's atmosphere and reflecting off these different surfaces and different waves of light comes back to our eyes and appears in these different colors. That's what we'd say if we were purely physical beings. But that's not what happens when we see a sunset. We're like, wow, what is that? Well, that's God's glory. That's God's glory moving us. Psalm 19, verse 1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and we're moved. And these early Christians had such a profound awareness of the realness of God and it moved them and they praised God. God, you're the most glorious, powerful king of the universe and you're going to be that forever and ever. And, And these early Christians knew we can have you as our king. And we can have you forever. And we want it that way. It is always, it's always. So I thought of this phrase about God. God is the all-glorious, almighty, always and forever king. And that's what we celebrate in this last phrase. God is the all-glorious, almighty, always and forever king. Now, I don't know 
if that's what you think when you recite this last part of the Lord's Prayer. But that's what it means. And that's what those early Christians thought when they prayed that. And it moved them to to give their all, to lay down their life, to to give everything up to follow Jesus Christ. And what this makes me do is to ask a question of myself and ask a question of you. If you are a Christian, what are you, what are you gladfully giving up so that you can live in the kingdom of God? I mean, in other words, what, what are you saying, okay, I'm letting go of that. I'm giving that up. I'm getting rid of that so that I can embrace this invitation of God to have him as my all-glorious all-powerful, always and forever king. The other thing this phrase tells us, in addition to moving us to praise God for who he is, it it, it moves us, it reminds us that we pray to God because of who he is. That phrase begins, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom. Give us our daily bread. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's a cause for our prayers, who God is. Heidelberg Catechism puts it like this. I'll read this. Question 128. You can look it up on your own. Uh, What does your conclusion to this prayer, this phrase mean? It means we have made all these requests of you because as our all-powerful king... You not only want to, but you are also able to give us all that is good. We pray to God because he wants to give us what is good. We're saying, yes, God, thank you. Thank you for your heart and your power to give us good things. We pray this at the end because we want to remind ourselves, okay, we've prayed for all these things, and we know God can give it to us. Now, I want to talk about two ditches that we can fall into in one ditch, is the ditch of, yeah, thinking of God as the divine butler. And, yeah, God, we pray for all these things, and you're going to give it to us, right? Um, because you're our divine butler. We want to stay out of that ditch, of course. But there's another ditch that we, that's opposite of that that we can fall into. Um, and that's the ditch of, yeah, God is too great and too glorious for me to bother him with my little request. You want to stay out of that ditch. Because this ending of the Lord's Prayer prompts us to pray even more because we are coming to a king who wants to and who is able to give us what is good. In other words, statements in your notes, God's glory is an invitation to pray even more, not pray less. when we finish our Lord's Prayer with this, it just prompts us to pray even more. Now, students, I want to release y'all to go to your discussion group if you want to go um, and further discuss this end of the Lord's Prayer. See, it's 
in our very praying to God that we acknowledge our desperate need for God. It's when we ask and then when we see God act and move and provide that our hearts, oh, they're, they're made joyful. They're, <laughs> we're, we're moved in our inner being because of God's wonder. And we praise God. That's when God is most glorified, when our hearts are we're praising God for what we see him do in the world. God wants this asking relationship with us. He wants us to know his heart, to know his desires for, for our lives and for the world, and ask for that so that he can bring into existence what his will is for, for you, for me, for our church, for this world. God is bringing his kingdom into the world. He just plans on doing it through your prayers, through the prayers of his church. It's an amazing thing about prayer. So let me give you an example of this in the Bible, about God inviting someone into this this asking relationship with him, knowing God's heart, to know God's heart, and to know God's will for his people, and to pray it. And what happens when that that happens? Um, So we're going to look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I think chapter 3 is just one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. And um, so what Paul is doing in this letter is he is um, addressing a a church that had many Christians of Jewish background and many Christians of non-Jewish or Gentile background. And so one of the things that he writes about is unity. And God bringing together these two different groups of Christians, Jews and Gentile. And we get to Ephesians chapter 3. Great chapter. Excuse me, we'll get to this in a second. I want to maybe describe a little bit what, what's going on in Ephesians chapter 3. Um, and I try to come up with a good example. I don't know if it's a good example or not, it, but here we go. Um, uh, about God bringing together two different groups of people um, that are, who are pr- prideful and prejudiced. <laughs> and when prideful and prejudiced, different people get together in the same room, you know, watch out. So it made me think of this scene that I, that, that I saw a week ago. You probably saw it too if you were watching the Astros playing the Red Sox in the American League Championship Series. Um, remember those games in Boston? Did you watch the postgame Commentary and analysis of the game with the, the, the Fox sports crew. So they're in Boston. If you didn't see this, it's really funny. Um, they're, they're doing the post-game stuff, and the, the announcers, they're talking about the game. And the Red Sox fans, they're talking about something else. In the back of this broadcast, they're shouting out stuff. All these Red Sox fans. Um, but they're not shouting out about the Astros and how much they hate the Astros. They're shouting out. These Red Sox fans are shouting about, about their sworn enemies. It's not the Astros. Who's the sworn enemies of the Red Sox fans? The Yankees and Yankees fans. And so this is going on in the back of these broadcasts. You're just hearing all these, these shouts, pretty vulgar shouts about the Yankees and their fans. So I was thinking about this. Think about Ephesians and God bringing together people that probably don't like one another putting them in the same room. It would be like <laughs> putting a bunch of diehard Red Sox fans and Yankee fans 
in the same room and seeing what's going to happen. Well, a lot of carnage would happen if that were to go down. But imagine, imagine if something else were to happen. You put Red Sox and Yankees fans in the same room. What if God broke down the dividing wall of hostility and you came in and you saw Red Sox fans and Yankees fans playing a friendly wiffle ball game, divided up evenly on, the either, on, on both teams and giving one another high fives and then inviting one another to some post-game cookouts at each other's homes? What if you saw that? That is, that, that's, what, that's what Paul has in mind for the church in, 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 in Ephesus. People of different backgrounds who normally don't like one another coming together and seeing what happens when God shows up. And he prays for this. So now we're going to get to Ephesians chapter 3. I want to walk you through this. just an astounding passage. Paul, Paul knows something amazing is going to happen. He's praying for this. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your, in all of your, plural, you all's hearts, through faith. And I pray that you, you all, being rooted and established in God's love, may have power, and check out this, le- this next phrase, together with all the Lord's holy people. Now hold it right there. See, see Paul is saying something amazing is going to happen when you are all together, when you, Lord's holy people, are all together and you're rooted together in God's love. Something amazing is going to happen. And Paul is praying for this unity because he knows when united Christians get together in the power and the love of God, something amazing is going to happen. And then Paul actually prays for what he wants to happen. And it's this. I pray that you will grasp in your unity how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled to the measure, to the maximum of all of the fullness of God. Let me tell you, that is an audacious prayer, is that not? Paul is saying, I pray that you'll be filled, not just a little bit with the presence of God, but to all of the fullness of God. So if there is one key to prayer, (laughs) well, there's several keys to prayer. (laughs) One of those keys is to think about what God wants and then pray for that. And here's another key to prayer. You can't out-ask what God will do. You just can't. You can't. Think of something too big for God to do. God will not think, oh, just, that's unrealistic. Come on now. God's, God's not thinking, oh, you're asking way too much. Come on. Paul says God can do more than we ask or imagine. Did we get to Paul's praise? I think I left off Paul's final praise. Yeah. So, chapter 3 continues. So, after Paul prays this audacious prayer, God, do this. Fill us with your fullness. He's just, Paul's caught up in a praise himself. And look what he writes. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever 
and ever. God can and will do more than we ask or imagine. You cannot out-ask what God will do. Pray bigger, in other words. C.S. Lewis put it like this, God never finds our desires too strong. He always finds them too weak. God says, want more. Desire more. Now, I know we can all get discouraged in prayer. And you may be thinking, oh, Pastor, you don't know how much I've been praying. I mean, I've prayed for the moon. I, have, I couldn't have been praying for anything bigger. And it didn't happen. I prayed for my loved one to be healed, and it didn't happen. I don't have any big left in my prayers. I'm all out. That may be you this morning. And I think that's why there's this word at the end of this little phrase at the end of the Lord's Prayer, forever. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We know that there are just some things that we don't understand. Why, why didn't this happen? Why did this other thing happen? Sometimes we just don't understand. And so we remind ourselves, God is the all-glorious, all-powerful, always, forever King. And we may be disappointed in the here and now, but we won't be for long because forever and ever God is going to reign as King and He's going to do more than we ask or imagine. He will. So don't lose heart in your praying. Keep praying. Don't give up. Keep one eye on forever. I think it's important to remember that we've got to keep our focus on forever because of something that God wants to do in us and through us forever. And it leads us to one of our last points on prayer, and it's this. Prayer is training for reigning. And that's not my own line, by the way. I don't know who said that. Some famous Christian thinker who probably was borrowing that from some other famous Christian thinker. You know, it, these cool little lines float around. That's a, that's a great line about prayer. It's training for reigning. And it comes from, um, among other places in the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22 says that, this is describing forever. This is when God makes the whole world new again, renews the, the, created, the world, created world, comes back, lives with us. And 22 Verses 3 and 6 say, The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. And what's going to happen? And they will reign forever and ever. God is inviting His people. Will you you reign with me? Will you know my heart, know my will? Will Will you know my desires? Get to know me so that you know what I would want and then pray for that to happen. And as we do that in this world, we strengthen our faith. We glorify God in our hearts. And God trains us for when we will be reigning with him forever and ever. We're standing on the threshold of God bringing in his kingdom in the full. We're on the threshold. It's going to happen any moment. Don't lose heart. God is preparing our hearts for when you will reign with him forever and ever. So as we finish out the series in the Lord's Prayer, I thought it would be good for us to 
pray together, just to spend a few minutes in prayer together as a church, be praying um, individually, but we'll be doing it together. Um, spend a few minutes doing that. And, and I want to go through these different parts of the Lord, Lord's Prayer one more time. You can fill in these little lines on your note sheet if you would like to. This little rhyme that I came up with to help me as I'm walking along to go through these little parts of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, so here's what I say to myself. I remind myself God's name. And I, I, I focus on the name of God and praise God for, for his name, his glorious name, his beautiful name, who God is. And then I just remember God's place. Where is God? God is reigning on the throne of the universe. He is the one who can and will answer our prayers. So I just, I just thank God. God, you're reigning. You are king. And I know that you're hearing me and you're answering my prayers. So God's name, God's place, God's gifts. I ask for my daily bread, our daily bread. Lord, give to me my daily needs and the needs of my family, the needs of my church. Just pray for God's gifts. And I pray for God's grace. And, and forgive us our sins, forgive me my sins. And then I, I try, I, I pray that I would be able to show God's grace to others as I, as I forgive others. I'm just kind of talking to God through these different points. I thank God for his grace and how God is gracious to me. Then I get to um, God's ways. Last week we talked about lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a, just a way of inviting God's ways into our life. Follow God's ways because that is what leads us away from temptation. If we stay on God's path and then we pray for God's ways of peace, shalom, goodness to come to us. Deliver us from evil. And I'm just praying different ways that I need God's ways in my life as I walk. And then finally, always, this last little phrase, always, I'm keeping one eye on forever. So when I get frustrated about what's going on in life and don't understand, God, why aren't you doing this? Why are you doing this instead? Why is this happening? So I'm keeping one eye on forever, knowing that at any moment, God's going to bring his kingdom in full. And so I can just trust him and rest in his goodness. So I don't know if that'll be helpful for you as you kind of live out a prayer life that's built on Jesus' model for prayer, but I, it's helpful for me. What I want to do is just kind of close this. In your note sheet, you have these little lines by those different parts of prayer. You can write some things in that line as, as you think of them, as God's Spirit moves you, puts something on your mind for you know, again, just like Paul praying for the Ephesians, it's he knew the desires of God. And he was just praying those into being for God's people, the Christians at Ephesus. Um, and just think through God's heart for you and for this church and for this community, this Clear Lake Bay Area community. And if you will... Um, be really attentive to the Lord hearing your prayers and our prayers as we pray together. And we'll pray this and I'll close us and then we'll worship God. Oh God, we thank you and we praise you. We thank you for being our all-glorious, all-powerful, always and forever King, we praise you for your name, your wonderful name, 
You are faithful. You are good. You are trustworthy. You are almighty. You are father. We are your children. And you delight to give your kingdom to your children. Lord, thank you for your kingdom. Thank you that you're, you're the king. And we just want to worship your name. And Lord, we want to thank you for being on this throne in heaven, reigning over all creation. You are the king of of kings. You are Lord of lords. Nothing happens apart from your sovereign purposes for us. And Lord, even in, in those moments when it, feel like thing, it feels like things are crashing around us and we are unsettled, we know that you are the God who reigns. Will you bring into being what you have purpose for us? Will you bring into being what you have purpose for Hope Church and in our individual lives as we carry out your calling in this world? And Lord, now we, we humbly ask for your, for your good gifts. Thank you for feeding the birds in the air and clothing the flowers in the field. There's a whole lot of flowers in this world and you've dressed them splendidly. And you care for us so much more than you care for those flowers. And so we pray for your good gifts We pray that you would give us our daily bread, whatever you are moving us to pray for, Lord, whatever we're writing down, these prayer requests, we pray that you would see what we've written, that you'd know what we've written on our hearts, hear our prayers, and that you'd bring your goodness to us, to our, our families, our neighborhoods, our church, our schools, our offices, our country, our world. Lord, we need your good gifts. And we pray for your grace. We pray that you would forgive us our sins. We know we are so hasty in our actions. We act before we think. We speak before we think. And even when we're thinking, we're thinking the wrong stuff, Lord, so often. We need your grace to help us to live a life of freedom, freedom from shame, and freedom to pursue your righteousness in your righteous ways. Thank you for being gracious to us. Thank you that you remember our sins no more. Maybe there's someone that we know we, we need to show grace to, 
forgiveness too. We might write their name down and just ask that you would help us to show your grace and that you would give that person your grace. We want your best for them, Lord. We release our anger over them and give them to your goodness. And we pray for your ways, your righteous ways. We pray that you'd help us to be obedient to your word. Maybe there's some acts of obedience that we're writing down that we know you're calling us to. We pray that you would help us to be faithful to those things so that we could receive your life and so that others could receive your abundant life through through our acts of, of service and compassion and generosity. So your right ways, Lord, will you bring them into our life? And we pray this always, Lord. We give you thanks for always. We, we give you thanks that you're always there for us. We give you thanks that you are always loving towards us, that there's never a time when you are withholding your goodness from us. You always get good gifts, good gifts to your children. Your intent is to fill every nook and cranny of this world with your glory. And your promise is that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would fill this earth. And we pray that 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 your will would be done. That your glory will fill this earth. That your glory would fill Hope Church. That your glory would fill our hearts and our lives. And help us to remember your high calling. Not just to live. Not just to put in 40 hours of work at the office. Not just to go through classes and do our things as students. But we are called, you call us to reign over your creation and you're going to use us now and you're going to train us now for that moment when we're reigning with you forever and ever. So Lord, we, we just want to peek into this week And we pray that it's a different week than what we were expecting it to be. That as we go out, we would remember we are your servants and we are your ambassadors in this world. And through our prayers and through your spirit in us, you are bringing about your restoration and your renewal and your hope and your goodness and your blessings to this world. We thank you, God, that you are the God that does indeed do more than we could ever ask or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.